Welcome to the Sozo Church Podcast. Our desire is to see every person know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Enjoy. Uh, But let me first just unpack for you uh, where this idea for the blessed life, this collection, which we'll be talking about for the next few weeks, uh, we're going to be speaking specifically. Here's what the topic is about. It's about, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, it's about generosity. It's about the way that we leverage our resources and steward our resources, but it's more than just our resources. It's more than just finances. It's more than all those things. It's about how we see the, the life that God has given us and how we see the world that is around us. I grew up in a church where um, where every time they talked about like finances or money or stewardship, people would like get up and leave. Uh, I wanted to leave if I'm honest, because I hated the way that it was talked about. It felt very slick and car salesman ish. Uh, I don't know if you've grown up in a church like that, but that's kind of the church that I grew up in. And I never liked it whenever people talked about finances and stuff. It was always like on the, on the day when I would bring a friend to, you know, it's like the guests with you. Like, I'm telling you, this church is legit. The worship's amazing. The pastor's so relatable. And you come in and it's like, Hey, turn, in your Bibles to Malachi. We're talking about tithing. It's like, oh my God. It's like worst day to bring a friend, you know? Um, but, but we are, we're going to unpack, um, I believe a biblical theology around, around living a blessed life before God and before the people that are in our life. And some of the teaching that, that I'm going to share with you is actually, it's from a book called the blessed life. And, uh, I don't typically do this. I don't typically do book studies, but this book so impacted my life Um, that um, not only did the book just impact my life to live a generous life and to be a good steward of the resources that God has given me, but it also, it drove me to a place where when my wife and I were looking for a healthy church to be a part of, we actually went to the church where the pastor that wrote this book, the, the church that he was pastoring, his name's Robert Morris. And matter of fact, next week you'll get to hear from Pastor Robert Morris uh, around this idea of the blessed life. But I read this book. I, I read it numerous times. And I sat under Pastor Robert's teachings numerous times. And, and I just began to just say, okay, let me hear what he's saying. Let me he- read what he r- wrote here. And let me just align this with scripture and overlay it and see, does this bear weight? Does the word of God speak to these things? And as I begin to really look at this more and more and more, God really began to teach me about how to live a blessed life and, uh, and what that really means. And so we're going to do that for the next few weeks. We're going to unpack some of the thoughts from this book, but more importantly from scripture. And I'm excited about next week for, for you to hear from Pastor Robert. So I want to encourage you, number one is, if you don't have this book, we don't have a bookstore. We're a portable church, as you can see. But go to Amazon, get the book. Uh, Matt Laborde's right over here. He's really rich. He'll pay for it if you need it. So uh, thanks, Matt. <laughs> And then uh, that's one book I want to draw your attention to. Um, but I want to draw your attention to another book. It's, it's not that it's, it's not that it's, thank you, Josh. It's not that it's, it's uh, saying a different message, but I think it just gives another perspective. Because I like to find out different perspectives, not just one person. I don't read just one author. I don't read just one book of the Bible. I like to read all of it. The scriptures tell us that we need to have an understanding of the whole counsel of God, all of scripture. But I like to read different perspectives on certain topics. I even like to read secular uh, perspectives on certain topics because I think there's something that you can learn to learn these different perspectives. But here's another book that I really like that actually Matt gave me. So maybe you'll purchase this one for everybody. Uh, it's called Pla- The Plastic Donut or Plastic Donuts uh, by a guy named Jeff Anderson, Giving That Delights the Heart of the Father. And it's kind of cool. It's a short read. You can literally, you can read that on a flight somewhere. Uh, but I want to encourage you to grab those two books. Some of the things that I'll share will come out of these. So I'll go ahead and tell you that I am totally stealing some of their stuff. Uh, use your eyes, plagiarize is what I tell our team. So anyway, uh, all right. So Deuteronomy chapter 15, we're going to jump over there, but let me just unpack this for just uh, 
for just a few few minutes um, here today. That word blessed um, is not a southern word. It's, it's not a suburban word. Um, it's not a Christianese word. The word blessed is a biblical word. It's actually, you see it throughout scripture. You, you see this word blessed or to be blessed, that God wants to bless his people. But let me give you this definition that really, I just kind of, I put this definition together this morning. I don't want to show it to you in scripture, but blessed. Here's what blessed is, I believe. It's the generosity of God placed on someone's life for their benefit. I want you to catch that. For their benefit and the benefit of others. This is what being blessed is. It's the generosity of God. Notice, not just money, but it's the, something out of the generosity and the graciousness of God's life or, or his heart towards us. It's the generosity of God placed on someone's life for their benefit and for the benefit of others. Let me say it another way. I, I, I like this as well. Here, what does it mean to be blessed? It's God's grace and generosity flowing, watch this, flowing to you and through you for your benefit and for the benefit of other people. Notice that God wants to bless your life, not just for you, although that is important. Like he wants to bless your life. He, he wants to do that. But he doesn't want to just bring blessings to you for you because that would make you a living, it'd make you into this self-centered person where you're all about yourself. And that's never God's heart. But God wants to bring blessings to you and he wants to bring blessings through your life so that you can live a life being a blessing to other people. People. Now, let me show you that that's not just my concept and ideas. Genesis chapter 12, it says this. When God said this to Abraham, which he was the father of, he's a father of the faith, right? His name was first called Abram before it was changed to Abraham. God says, hey, Abraham, listen, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. And what's interesting is the previous chapter, the temptation of the people of Babel is they were trying to make themselves into a great nation. And God says, Abraham, you don't have to try to make yourself into something. I will make you. How many of you want God to make you into something and not in your own efforts try to make something out of yourself? Right? He says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, God says. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who curse you. I will curse those who treat you with contempt. And all the people on the earth will be blessed through you. It's God having this global heart saying, I can use just one person. I can bring blessings to one person and I can bring blessings through one person to make a global impact. I love that about how God wants to bless us, not only for our benefit, but for other people's benefit. Now, what some people would say is this is like, all right, Jason, that's, that is a promise to Abraham. That is not a promise to us. That was thousands of years ago. Well, Galatians chapter three says, through Christ Jesus. How many of you thankful for Jesus? Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles. Who is that? That's us. God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham. So the, the promise that was on our father, Abraham, Father Abraham had many sons. Had many sons had Father Abraham. And I am one of them. And so were you. So let's just praise him. Right arm. Hey, have you... I've said this to you before. Have you ever noticed that Father Abraham is like the Christian hokey pokey? It is so weird. It's the weirdest song ever. But the blessing that, watch this, the blessing that was on our father has actually, it has trickled down and cascaded down onto us. It is a blessing that was not just for him, but it is for you and for I. That is, that is, that is this, is that God wants to bless our lives, not just for our benefit, but I believe so that he can use our lives to benefit the people 
around us. Being blessed is something that God does desire for our life. But does this blessing mean that we're going to be rich? Does it mean that we're going to have, you know, all these resources and that we're going to live in some big house? Does it mean that we're going to have this huge portfolio with all these investments and all these returns? And all? Does it mean that we're going to not have any problems or any tr- troubles or any struggles or any, any situations that are not preferable to us? Does it mean that? And I would submit to you that the idea of God's blessing is so much grander and greater than just some prosperity the way that we see it. That it's a deeper prosperity. It's a greater prosperity. It's a greater richness in our life. If you even look at the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus preached the Beatitudes, I mean, he said stuff like, blessed are the poor in spirit. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Talk about that will mess with your your Americanized theology about the blessings of God. He says, you can actually be blessed even in mourning. You can be blessed even when you're poor in spirit. He says, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those that are hungry for God and they thirst for his righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those that are even persecuted. So it shows us that God's blessing is bigger than just our Western idea of of name it and claim it. You know, just talk about God's going to give me this and God's going to give me that. I'm going to pray this into existence. It's so much bigger than this prosperity gospel that has been peddled for so long in American churches. It's deeper and it's greater than that. But I do believe That God's desire, though man has twisted it to mean some cheap financial prosperity, I believe that God's desire is to pour out his blessings on his sons and daughters for our benefit and for the benefit of others. I really believe it. How do I know it? Psalms 5, one of my favorite scriptures says, surely, like like when you study the original language, it means like faux show, okay? It means like... Like, you can bank on this. Like, this is, like, this is a dependable saying. Surely, the Lord says, the Lord will bless you. He'll bless the righteous, and he'll surround them with favor like a shield. The Lord blesses the righteous. Now, listen to me. This is important that we get this straight before we even move into anything else, okay? This is the starting point for this entire collection. You've got to get to the place where you believe, no matter what your circumstances may currently be, no matter what your job situation is, no matter how expensive your rent is, no matter what you're facing or dealing with or going through or the debt you may have, you've got to get this in your spirit that your heavenly father desires to bless your life. If you don't believe that, if you don't receive that, if you don't have faith to believe that, that you have a good, good father that wants to bless your life, then things are just going to be a challenge for you to receive from him. It would be so hard for my kids to receive from me if they don't believe that I actually want to bless them. No matter how much I want to bless them, although my youngest son, he'll just take it however he can get it. But (laughs) I think it becomes hard for us to receive from people when we don't think they actually want to give something to us. You have to understand, I really believe that God wants to bless your life and my life. He blesses the righteous, the scripture says. And let me ask you this question. This was in the Old Testament. We know that, that, that under the, this new dispensation of grace in the New Testament that we are righteous. Why? Why are you and I righteous? Righteous simply means you're in right standing with God. It means that you're at peace with God. For those of you that are Christians, you are righteous, not because of something you've done, not because of something you've merited, merited, not, not because of something that you've like earned and you've kind of worked up God's approval and acceptance of you. But why are you righteous if you're a follower of Jesus? You are, a right, you are righteous or you're in right standing with God because of who? Because of Jesus. Not because of what you've done, but because of what he has done. The scriptures tell us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, he, Jesus, who knew no sin, he became sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God. 
So watch, God blesses the righteous and he surrounds him with favor like a shield. And so if you are righteous today and in right standing with God because of what Jesus has done, that means that you qualify for what? For the blessings of God in your life. You qualify. So listen, God's blessings toward you are not because you pray harder. God's blessings toward you is not because even you live a buttoned up moral life. God's blessings towards you is not because of great church attendance, although you need to come to church, okay? God's blessings, God's blessings are not simply because you pay him off through tithing. God's blessings are not because you've just been faithful. God's blessings is because Jesus is faithful. God's blessings is because of what Jesus has done, not because of what you have done. Is there a blessing in obedience and living according to God's word? Absolutely. But I would submit to you that the reason why God prefers to lean into you and to pour his blessings on your life is because when he sees you, he sees Jesus. Because he wants to bless his son. He wants to bless his son and he does it by blessing you. By blessing you. Psalms 5, he wants to bless a life. Now, I want to read you just a scripture really quick because have you ever noticed that when people talk about giving in church, um, that they can use certain scriptures and, and twist them and work them to say certain things, especially um, tele, televangelists, like the TV preachers, you know, the guys are like, buy this water and it will cure you of hemorrhoids or whatever. You know, it's like, it's like the weirdest thing. We've prayed over it. You know, it's like, oh my God, this is so disgusting. You know, if you stay up late at night, you get stuck on watching these televangelists. Like, what is this dude talking about? Like, I wish I'd see one of these dudes on the street corner in SF in the mission at late night with this camo shirt on. I would like, <laughs> now I do have Disney on underneath it to keep me humble, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I will punch one of those televangelists. But uh, look, at, look at this. It's so interesting how people use scriptures to say what they want to say. But I love this in Luke chapter six. How many of you in here, you have ever heard this before? Give, Luke chapter six, verse 38, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. That sounds like a Pentecostal church. Will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. How many of you in here, by a show of hands, if you've grown up in church, if you haven't, it's okay, but for the rest of us, we're crazy, okay? You grew up in church, and you've heard this preached specifically about giving. How many of you in here? Okay, a few of you in here. I would hear this, this, this thing preached like crazy and like those little moments in a church service where they do the sermonette on tithing or the sermonette on giving and they kind of make the plea and the appeal right there in that moment. And they'd say, I want you to turn me to Luke chapter six, verse 38, give and it will be given to you. You know, they, they would go on this whole thing. And, and one day I was reading my Bible for myself. How many you know it's a good thing if, if you don't just go to church but you read your Bible for yourself. Novel idea, novel idea, just saying. I was reading my Bible for myself and you know, you ever heard the phrase context is king? So verse 38 can be cherry picked out of that passage and you can just preach it however you want. You give, God's gonna give to you. Man, you give in the offering, God's gonna give to you. You do this, God's gonna give to you. You give to get is the theology it creates. But I, I love the context. In the previous verses it says, be merciful just as your father is merciful. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you, you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you a good measure. Press down, 
shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So what is Jesus telling them to measure out? It's mercy, not money. It's interesting how people will twist this to mean what they want it to mean. But what Jesus is saying is this is, is I want to deal with your heart. I want to deal with the way that you see people. I want to deal with this thing called grace, this thing called mercy, and your heart filled with judgment that's hard towards people. It's a hardness of heart, and I want to deal with that. And I want to remind you that to whatever measure you give people mercy, that's how you're going to receive it. It will be measured back to you. To the measure, to the same degree in the measure that you measure out grace to people you will receive. Jesus is teaching them this, is you need to give the grace you hope you someday never need. You need to give the mercy that you hope you someday. It, this is a principle he is sharing with them. Whatever you give, it will, it's going to come back to you. It, it, it doesn't matter if it's judgment, you're going to get judgment back. If it's mercy, you're going to get mercy back. If it's money, you're going to get money back. Like it's, just a, it's a principle. It's not about just money. It's about, it's about generosity, having a heart that's generous towards other people, where your heart is soft, not hard, but soft towards people, that you have a soft-heartedness. And that your hand is open towards other people. Because whatever you give, you will see it come back into your life. One of my mentors was counseling this, this mom one day. And uh, they go into his office. They leave the door open. Uh, and the kids are in the, like down the hall and they're playing. And it's, uh, you know, 9, 10, 11-year-old. They're in there, some boys. And, and the mom is sitting there looking at my mentor. And she says, I just don't understand it, Pastor. She says, my, my kids are so disrespectful. She was like, they just yell at me for no reason at all. By this time, the kids are kind of getting louder in there. And she, literally, she turns and leans out the door. She goes, hey, shut up. <laughs> Quit horse playing. Stop it. I'm in a meeting. Sits back down and goes, like I was saying, Pastor, I, I just don't understand why my kids yell at me. And he looks at her. He's like, ma'am, you reap what you sow. You yell at your kids, they're going to yell back at you. You're disrespe- you create an atmosphere of disrespect in your house, you're going to get that back. You create an atmosphere of dishonor in your house, you're going to get it back. Because whatever you sow, you will reap because God will not be mocked, his word says. Whatever you sow, you sow money, then you'll reap money. You sow mercy, you'll reap mercy. You sow discord, you will reap discord. You sow gossip, you're going to reap. You sow slander, you're going to reap whatever we sow. It is a principle. God has orchestrated this whole thing around governing principles. And one of them is the principle of sowing and reaping. But it's more than money. It's about our heart. And I think that's why Jesus didn't put money in this passage. Because he wanted, didn't want us to miss the powerful principle of it's all about sowing and reaping. And whatever you give, that is what you're going to receive. And I think it's probably because anytime you talk about money, it just kind of can, it can, it can mess with people. I think Jesus probably knew that. That people will get their, their kind of feathers in a ruffle whenever you talk about it. For the first few years of preaching, I never talked about money. I never talked about resources. I never talked about tithing or sacrificial giving, those things. Because I was intimidated by people. And I was intimidated by the people that I was preaching to. I was in, it was an insecure pastor. And then I realized that one of the primary ways that God cures the hearts of his people through of selfishness and greed and self-centeredness and narcissism and all those things is by actually teaching pe- people to live generously towards other people. It was in that moment I stopped wanting something from people and I started wanting something for people. And so today, like, I have no problem talking to you about this because... it's not about money, it's about something greater, which is the title of my message. It's all about our hearts. It is all about our hearts. Matthew 6, 
wherever your treasure is, Jesus said, there the desires of your heart will be also. People used to say when I grew up in church, I'd hear them say, oh, I don't go to church because they just want your money. I would submit to you this, that our church doesn't want your money. You can give it if you want to. That'd be cool. But I would say this to you. God wants your money. You know why? Not because he needs it. Do you actually think that we're going to keep the lights on in heaven? Do we think that we're going to support his work? How arrogant. But no, God wants your money and my money because he wants our heart. And there's a string connected from our heart to our butt. Right? Well, that's if you keep your wallet in your butt. If you keep it in the bank, whatever. There's a string connected from your heart to Bank of America. From your heart to Chase. There is a string that is connected. God does want to deal with our money. You know why? Because he wants to deal with our heart. Wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be. If you have any investments, you know this to be true. That before, you know, before there was, let's just talk about Chick-fil-A. I used to, amen, somebody say amen, the gospel bird. Um, Some of you, you don't care about Chick-fil-A at all, but I promise you this, if about 15 years ago, you put about 25K in stock in Chick-fil-A, you'd be caring about that stock for sure. Because where your treasure is, your heart, your heart's, it's going to be there, right? Your heart's going to be connected. Where Any of you in here, if you have investments anywhere, I bet you go and you look at that, you look at the market and you look at what's, why? Because your money's there. Your heart and my heart, it's connected to our resources. It's connected to the things that God has given to us. Now, I want to take this for just the next few moments. I want to unpack this. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 15. This is, this is a great little passage, and I just want to give you just a couple little takeaways from it as our starting point, and I think it's really going to bless you. But this is the fifth book. Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Old Testament uh, scriptures. It's written as a form of a farewell address from Moses, God, God's leader and deliverer of the people of God, the Israel, Israelites. He brought them out of Egypt. You know the story. And um, this is a farewell speech or a farewell letter, essentially, to God's people before they go into the promised land to receive this beautiful blessing from God. And before they go into it, before they receive this blessing, God speaks through Moses to remind them of something. So he's giving them some instructions before the blessing comes. He says this in verse number seven. He says, if there is among you a poor man of your brethren within any of these gates in your land, which the Lord your God is giving you, notice who's giving the blessing. It's God. It's not because you worked hard. It's not because you got a good job. It's not because you went to college and you got more degrees in the thermometer and all that stuff. It's not that. It's God is giving this to you, right? You shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from your poor brother, but you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient to his need, whatever he needs. Notice that a hard heart produces a closed hand. I have decided that as for me and my house, one of the values of our house is we are generous. I teach my kids this. It's written on the side of their bed. We are generous. And I've decided as for me and my house, I am going to live with a soft heart and with an open hand. And the moment we get a hard heart towards people, we will have a closed hand towards people in need. How do we do that though? How do we live like how he's telling them living with this generous generosity towards other people, this understanding that, God, you've blessed me, but, but I want to be a blessing to other people. I want to give you just three things. The first one is this, and I'm going to take these right from the text. The first thing you've got to do and I've got to do is we've got to deal with a selfish heart. You'll never live generously until you first confront that which you've been tolerating. 
Because we'll never change what we're willing to tolerate. If we're willing to tolerate a self-centeredness, then we'll never change and transform that. We have to first deal with that and allow God to work deep into our heart. Look what it says in verse nine. He says, beware. He goes on the next verse. Beware, lest there be a wicked thought in your heart. Again, it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. It's not a bank issue. It's a heart issue. It's not a money issue. It's a heart issue. He goes, beware if a wicked thought in your heart saying, the seventh year, the year of release, is the year of Jubilee, is at hand. And your eye... Be evil against your poor brother, which means that you're being stingy or greedy, a bad eye, an evil eye. It's a Jewish saying. Um, towards your poor brother, and you give him nothing. And he cries out to the Lord against you, and it becomes sin among you. Uh, you just notice that, that selfishness, it becomes sin. It's having a hard heart towards people in need. It becomes sin in our own life. But let me just unpack for you what he's saying here. The picture of this whole year of Jubilee thing is this, is that in the text he's saying, there's going to be someone that, there's going to be people around you that are going to have needs in their life. You're going to have blessings. You're going to have the advantage. You're going to have resources to help those that are disadvantaged. You're going to be able to help the poor, help the marginalized, help those that cannot help themselves. He's like, and when those needs come up, he says, you need to watch. Then make sure that you do not say in your heart, man, the year of Jubilee, which is the seventh year, the year of canceling debts. For the Jewish people, the seventh year, the year of Jubilee, if anyone owed them anything, they would cancel the debts out of grace. And he said, you need to be careful that, that, you, that you choose not to lend to them because they're not going to be able to repay you back. He said, be careful not to have a hard heart because of that. So you notice that even right here, his, their generosity could potentially, be, could potentially have strings attached to it. You paying me back. I pray that you and I as a church, and I'm speaking to our church family, that we'd always have a generosity with no strings attached to the people in our city, to the broken in our city, to the poor in our city, that there would be a no strings attached. If you've ever seen those little cards that we have out in the foyer, they're generosity cards and serving cards for you to go out. This has, this has nothing to do with anything other than you. It's a simple way for you to go out, buy someone a coffee, tip someone some audacious tip, and leave a little card that just says, hey, here's a simple way uh, to, to say God bless you or whatever. No strings attached. It's no strings attached. You're not asking to be paid back. We're not asking to be paid back. We just want people to know that it was in the name of Jesus that you just got blessed. That's all we want people to know. It's with no strings attached. But if you see that, he's saying that, he's like, you got to be careful because it's going to be easy for you to think, if this person can't pay me back, I'm not going to give to them. He was like, that's having a hard heart. And if you have a hard heart towards people and you're constantly thinking about how they're going to pay you back or if they have to tell you thank you or if they have to this, he's like, that is a heart issue and you need to know it. Don't have a hard heart towards people. Don't do that. Now you just need to understand that you and I, we have this natural proclivity to be like that. Even some of you in here, you have the grace of giving because there's some people that have that grace. There's some people, according to scriptures over in 2 Corinthians, I think it is, it says that there's some people with the grace to give. Like, you just like to give. Like, you feel fulfilled when you give. Others, like me, that it's, 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 it's something that you have, to, you have to, like, grow in. 2 Corinthians 8 talks about excelling in the grace of giving. Some people are grace, and it's easy to do. Some people, it takes work. Some people just hate to give. It doesn't matter what. Like, there's, there's just grief that is attached with giving because they're self-centered. I think about my kids, it's the greatest example that I could give you. My kids, they're, they're like, one kid, he's like super generous. He would just give away everything. He gives me money all the time. It's amazing. I have another kid. He's just like, he's just like, he's just naturally, he's just a kid. And God's teaching him and he's working in his heart. Uh, just the other day, one of my sons, he comes downstairs and uh, he had a, a, one of those little things of gum. It's like the little round, like Mento looking gum things. He had about 20 of them in there and he wouldn't give his brother one. 
And so he comes in there and he sits down. I, I was thinking maybe you only had one left. And that's reasonable, right? right? You only have one left. Just eat it for yourself. Okay, whatever. Uh, bad theology. But anyway, um, <laughs> bad parenting, bad theology. But anyway, um, so I said, son, why won't you give your brother any gum? He was like, because dad, I don't have that much left. I said, well, how much do you have left? He opens it. It's like 20 of them in there. I'm like, bro, seriously? And uh, I'm not going to tell you which one it was, Liam. Anyway, <clears throat> it's like, Liam, are you serious, bro? What are you doing? And he's like, Dad, I just, I, he needs to get his own gum. I, this is my gum. I paid for this gum. I was like, you didn't pay for that gum. I paid for that gum. That's my gum. <laughs> and, uh, and he's like, Dad, you know, I just, yeah, I just want my gum for myself. He's selfish, right? It's just, that's how kids are. If you're a parent here, you know this to be true. No one taught your kids to do that. They just know how to do it. It's like natural, it's just nature. It's like their natural propensity, like just self-centered, selfish, right? And so he's sitting there, we're talking back and forth and I bring him in my bedroom and we sit down on the bed and we start having this like father-son moment. I felt strong. I felt like I'm a great dad. Like just I'm sharing with him some scriptures and sharing this like really emotional story about me being generous towards someone. And I like, did like an altar call, it was great. Anyway, um, so at the end of it, I said, son, I want you to stay in here and I want you to pray and I want you to ask the Lord what you should do with your 23 pieces of gum. <laughs> we'll see what the Lord says. Because you know he doesn't want you to be selfish, right? He's like, I know he doesn't want me to. I get up, walk out of the room. He's in there for probably three or four minutes. He comes out. Guys, he comes out. <laughs> that lip is shaking. He's like tears. And I'm like, bro, what's up, man? Everything okay? He's like, Yes, it is. I was like, what did God speak to you? He was like, he said to give it all away to Nixon. <laughs> I was like, man, can I have one? <laughs> give Nixon one and you can keep the rest of them, all right? You know, like God just was testing your heart. Abraham laying down Isaac on the altar. That was what it was, you know. It's just, it's just really, it's just kind of how it is. Um, I, I wrote this down that um, I'd make this proposition to you today. Uh, I think generosity helps us grow up, but I would make this proposition today. That one of the best ways you can measure your maturity as a followers of Jesus is by how generous or how selfish you are towards other people. I think that could be one of the greatest things. Think about this. Think about this in giving, just even in church. Now, I, I'm not speaking to you about generosity just in our church. I want you to live, I want generosity to permeate every area of your life. I want you to be generous outside of here, to other organizations, to missionaries, through our church, to our church, all that kind of stuff. But I want you to think about this when it comes to just the church environment. Um, we can come into church and we can put on the proverbial mask and we can just say, oh, bless you, brothers and sisters, you know, and just be like super saved Christians, speak all the Christianese, look the part, right? We can even, watch this, we can even fake worship. We can even just like, oh, we know like, you, you know the, the certain parts of the songs that you feel good? You know, it's like, oh, here it comes. It's like into the chorus right there. And it's like the drums just go really big and just like, oh, we can, you, can, you can actually fake worship. You can fake prayer. You can. You can actually, I, I, I have done it before. I have, I have prayed just a, just a, fake prayer before. I've done it before. You can fake just about everything in church, but there's one thing that you cannot fake. You cannot fake your generosity towards God because that's the one thing that no one else should know in the church that you're doing in that moment. They should not know what, it, what the amount is. 
Now, you can fake like you're writing a check for a million, but really just put a dollar and scratch through the zeros. But the point I'm trying to make is I think that, I think that our generosity is one of the greatest tests of how God is working in our heart, not just in church, but when you're walking down the street and everyone walks past that person that is struggling, that has no resources, will your heart be hard, hard towards them? Or will it be soft? Well, you know, Pastor Jason, we really shouldn't give to homeless people because what, they're, what are they going to do with it? Listen, have you ever thought about this? Like maybe don't give them $10 to go buy whatever you think they're going to buy. Maybe just see if they're hungry and you go in and buy them something to eat and go sit down beside them and don't give them a meal, share a meal with them. You're like, that's a little crazy, man. Well, just go get a gift card for $5 to McDonald's and just give away. A g- the point I'm trying to make is it's a heart issue. And we should have a soft heart towards people no matter what. We should have this tenderness of heart to where our hands, we live our lives with open hands, not self-centered, not selfish. And we have to deal with that selfish heart. The second thing we have to deal with, is, if you're going to be generous, you've got to deal with a grieving heart. Now listen to me whenever I say this. I love how the scripture goes. It says this. The scripture goes on and it says, um, you shall, verse 10, you shall surely give to him and your heart should not be grieved when you give to him. Because for this thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and in all to which you put your hand to. Notice this. Selfishness attacks you before you give. Grief attacks you after you give. Selfishness will keep you from living generously towards other people. But grief is after you give, you grieve the loss of that thing that you gave away. I was thinking about this today is that today I have this plan that after church, I'm going to go uh, take out, take some friends of mine out to lunch. But I realized um, that when I was looking at my wallet, I had, I, I, I forgot, like, I have like one card here, but I can't put stuff on that, but I have no cash. And so um, I was just, th- thank you. You're always, you're so generous, Nathan. Thank you for that. <laughs> saw how quick, quickly, he just, he just jumped up and gave that to me quickly with a smile on his face. Your teeth look great today, by the way. <laughs> Quickly and gladly, he gave me this. Now, here's the thing. The reason why he jumped up so fast is because this is not his money. <laughs> this is my money, okay? This is, this is, so he was quick to give, and he had a smile on his face to give. Do you feel any grief? Did you feel any grief when you gave me this? No, no, no. Maybe a little bit because you were thinking, okay, well, you're not the friend that's coming to lunch, by the way. But, so maybe there's some grief now. But there's, there's no grief when he gave me this. You know why there's no grief? Because he realizes that it was never his to begin with in the first place. So he's quick to give, and he gives gladly, not with any grief at all, because he realizes that none of it belongs to him that all of it belongs to me. And I believe that one of the reasons why we grieve when we give is that we still have not had a perspective shift and a theological shift to an understanding that everything you have, it does not belong to you. Everything that I have, it is not mine. None of it's mine. Not even my wife and kids, they're his. Everything is his. Listen, even the job you have, I know you think that you got that because you fluffed up that resume so well. You just fluffed it up and it just, your LinkedIn profile looked beautiful and it's like, that's what opened the door. It wasn't that. It was the favor of God. It wasn't. I know you think it was your education and you think it was because it wasn't. It was the blessings of God. Listen, if you're here today and you're sitting by your spouse, just look at them. I want you to tell you this right now. It wasn't because you had game. That's not how you got her. It was not your game, my friend. Brother, your game was struggling. That was favor. 
was the blessings of God. That was a miracle. Let's call it what it is. Look at your kids when you pick them up from kids' ministry today. Do you think, now I know that faith without works is dead. Hey, you know what I'm talking about. But I get that. I get there was a part that you played in producing that child. But let me just, let me just tell you that, that you did not produce that child. God gave you that child. Everything that we have. Just everybody right here, just on the count of three, I want you to just take a deep breath. Just one, two, three. That was a gift. Everything. Everything's a gift. And the moment we understand that everything was a gift that we have received from him, we will not, we will not have a spirit of grief when he asks us to do something. It doesn't matter what that is. It doesn't matter what he asks you to give away. I've had God speak to me at times when my heart got attached to certain possessions of mine. And he was like, I want you to give that away. And I remember the grief that I felt. And the only reason I felt that grief was because I thought it was mine. And that I, was, I deserved it or that I earned it or that I worked for it. And the moment I got the revelation that it's not mine, but it's his. And it does so much more in his hands than it does in my hands. The moment I got that revelation, the grief was gone. I just want to encourage you, if you're going to live a generous life, you're going to have to deal with a selfish heart and a grieving heart. And here's the last one for you. Is you, have to develop, you just have to develop a generous heart. How do you do that? I think it's by being generous. If you don't have the grace to give, you can still be a generous person. I'm proof of that. Generosity is not one of my spiritual gifts. Communication, maybe, and that's why I like to talk a lot. Teaching and pastoring and all that stuff, that's part of my grace and gifts, and it feels more effortless in my life, or it feels like I can do it with more ease. But I can tell you this, being generous is not a gift of mine. I like to buy myself stuff. I love it. It's amazing. And I've had to work that out of my life through ways like this. When I go to the store to buy me something, and the Holy Spirit's like, why are you so self-centered? Buy somebody else something right now. It's something that we have to grow in. It's something that we have, to, we have to learn. It's something, for some of you, it comes natural. I get it. But for probably most of us, it does not. Because of our fallen nature, we, we, we are naturally self-centered, selfish, greedy people that really care about self-preservation and our own pleasure in life. That's how we typically roll. But I love how it keeps going in verse 14. It says, so you shall supply that person liberally with your flock, I know none of you in here probably have sheep or goats or cows, but your resources from your threshing floor and from your wine press. From what the Lord your God has blessed you with, you shall. Notice, this is a command. This is not a suggestion. Generosity is not a suggestion in the kingdom. It is a command in the kingdom for us to live generously towards people. He says, you shall give. And, and I, I, just, I just begin to think about this, um, that I really know that for me, as I, as I was just starting to follow Jesus, the way that God began to teach me to live generously was first, and we'll talk about this in a few weeks, was first through um, bringing the Lord my first fruits is the way that the scripture says this. This is the tithe. This is the, the, a tenth, first tenth. And we're gonna talk about that in the next few weeks. Um, but that was the first way that God began to teach me to, number one, to see my resources in my life as they belong to him, they're his, and I'm just stewarding these things. So that was the first step. And as I begin to give through the church, to the church, through the church, as I begin to do that, what happened is it began to teach me that my stuff doesn't belong to me, but it all belongs to the Lord and that I should view everything in my life from my house to car, to clothes, to money, to anything, to influence, anything that God has given me, I should, I should take the advantage that he's given me and look for those that are disadvantaged and freely give my advantage away. 
And as I would do that, that God, God, I just, I began to notice it over the next couple of years. I noticed that the more and more I did that, the more and more I didn't feel self-centered, the more and more I didn't feel greedy, the more and more I didn't grieve over things. But it was as I began to live generously, as I began to respond to the promptings of the Holy Spirit and live generously, as I began to honor him with my finances, God began to work it out of my heart. And that's how I developed a generous heart. I became a worshiper by worshiping. I became a, pray, a, a prayer person by praying. I, I, I became, anything in my life that I have become up to this point, it's been by the doing and the practicing. It's the practicing of those things that you begin to progress in those things. That we just say, I understand that my resources, every aspect of my resources, influence, money, job, everything that I have, wisdom, everything that I have, it is a resource that God has given me so that I can be blessed and I can benefit, but so that I can bless other people. And the more that you begin to operate in that and you begin to just look, how can I be a blessing? And that's the question you ask. How can I be a blessing? How can I give my advantage away? How can I bless someone's life? How can I meet someone's need? As you begin to live your lives with open hands like this, you know what happens? You keep the flow going. It's a phrase a friend of mine, Judah, gave me. He said, you know what? When you live generously, when you see that God's blessings come to you, but they flow through you, he said, all you got to do is just keep the flow going. You just got to keep doing this. You just kind of got to keep giving your advantage away. Keep giving your resources away. Keep being a blessing to other people. Keep giving away anything you can. Keep helping people. Keep serving people. And as you do that, the blessings of God continue to flow through your life. And the motivation is this. And this is why this has to be the starting point is I cannot guilt you into becoming a generous person. And even if I did, there's some, there's some preachers that I've, I grew up in some of this that will tell you if you don't do this, that your whole life, that God's not pleased with you and honored with you. And this, like, I'm just telling you that God's a good father and he wants to see you as a son and daughter just become like his son, Jesus. And he knows that that's a process. Um, but what I do know is this, is that the worst motivation is for you to feel bad about not giving, for you to feel bad about not being generous to the poor. That is the worst motivation ever. Fear that God will be mad at you or guilt that he already is mad at you. It's the worst motivation. The greatest motivation for you and I to live generous lives is this, it's grace. It's just grace. That's why 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 talks about grace giving. It is understanding the grace of God towards you that you say, I wanna live graciously and generously towards other people. That's why he finishes off and he says this over in uh, verse 15, he says, here's the motivation. He says, live generously towards the poor. I want, don't have a hard heart. Don't be selfish. I want you to give freely, willingly. And he says, here's how you're gonna do it. Verse 15, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. He's saying this to the Israelites. He's saying, I want you to live generously and here's how you're gonna do it. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you to do this thing today, which is what? To be generous. Here's what he's saying to him: is that the greatest motivation is going to be gratitude for the grace and the generosity of God towards you. And when you get that in your heart, when your heart is flooded with gratitude for the grace that's been given to you, when you realize that grace is given, you receiving what you did not earn, you did not deserve, but it was just out of the goodness and the kindness of the Lord. When you remember that you were a slave and you had nothing and that everything you have has actually been given to you by him, that he redeemed you, that he set you free, that he saved you, that he filled your life with every blessed thing, every good thing that's in your life. When you begin to get that type of perspective, like you're gonna live generously towards other people. Sat down with my son, one of my sons a couple weeks ago, trying to teach him about how to be kind and generous towards other people. 
And I had this thought in the moment. Um, I, it just kind of came across my mind, Angola, Angola. And I was like, okay. And I remembered that I had a stack of letters in my library from Angola State Penitentiary in Louisiana. Angola was known for a long time as the bloodiest prison in America. I mean, tons of people would get killed every year at this prison, worst prison in America. And I have, uh, I have letters from a guy that writes me letters. He's done it for years from there. Because you see, he was a friend of mine when I was 17 years old. I was running from God. My life was broken. I was addicted to drugs. I was, I was screwed up. I was really screwed up. And for whatever reason, one night, we were going to this party, me and this friend of mine, two other friends, and we just, we were, we just, we were just, I don't know, we just were going to go to this party and just stir up a fight or something. And for some reason, I felt in my heart that night, I wasn't a Christian. This is how gracious God is. I was not a Christian, but something in me was like, don't go to that party. You need to go home right now. I don't even know why I did it, but I went home. And at like four or five in the morning, I get woken up by my friends that my, that my friends at that party got in this huge fight and they murdered this guy and killed this guy, beat him to death. And those guys are spending a life in Angola State Penitentiary. And when I first started back, when I first started doing ministry later on in life, I would go to that prison. I would sit with that guy, with those guys. And I would stare through these bars at these friends of mine wearing these jumpsuits and I'd sit there and I'd look at them and I'd think, if not for the grace of God, if not for the mercy of God, I would be in this place. And I sat there with my son and I, it, I didn't even mean for it to impact me the way it did. I was trying to impact my son. I'm going through these letters. I didn't read him all the details, but I'm telling him, I was, I was like, God, I said, son, you know why we're generous towards people? You know why we're kind to people? You know why we serve people? It's because of all God's done in our life. It's like, your dad could be in prison. Your dad could be dead. 15 of my friends have died in the last 15 years from drug overdose. If not for the grace of God. Why am I generous? Why do I want to teach my kids generosity? Because God's been so generous to me. It's really simple. I'll read you this last scripture and I'll be quiet. 2 Corinthians 8. For you have experienced the extravagant grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that although he was infinitely rich, he impoverished himself for our sake so that by his poverty, we might become rich beyond, beyond measure. I would say this, that you and I were blessed and we're beyond blessed because of what Jesus has done for us. Amen. Thanks for listening. Join us each week here on the podcast or live in San Francisco. Keep up with life at Sozo by following at Sozo Church SF on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a great day.